First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest hopefully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear or reverence, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, Received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And as we open First Peter, he gives some background before that. He is writing this letter to the Christians who were dispersed, primarily to the Jewish believers that were scattered, but to Gentiles as well because of the persecution of the early church in Jerusalem. And we have seen that in the book of Acts as we're currently going through that on Sundays. And he writes of this great salvation we've received, that we've been chosen by God, that we have been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and it does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And Peter writes that there's going to be trials, but your faith in Christ will bring you through. And he speaks of a salvation that the prophets who wrote and the angels did not fully understand. But now the gospel was being preached by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, all of the wisdom of God. This miraculous salvation, which was ordained before the world was even framed, as the God had put this plan of salvation for us whom he knew would fall, that the Father would be willing to give all that he loved in his Son, that the Lord Jesus would be willing to give his life for the payment of our sins, and that God the Spirit would be willing to seal us and keep us and bring us home to present us faultless before the throne, Jude writes. And God the Spirit, now residing in each one of us who have been born again. In light of this great salvation, uh, Peter writes, then how shall we live? Peter writes through the power of the Holy Spirit, in sanctification of the Spirit, he says actually in verse 2. For obedience, he writes, being set apart, by the power of the Holy Spirit. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest 
your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter begins to speak about the way that we should live. Because of this great salvation, because of the great cost of it now, Peter begins to lay out the way that we should live. And he says to gird up the loins of your mind. In those days they wore robes and in order to run or to do any type of work, they had to pull up these robes in order to run or to do anything. And so he's using that metaphor to speak about our minds now. Like rolling up your sleeves now we talk about, right? To do work. Be sober, he's saying, and be serious. He would later say in uh, what's recorded in 1 Peter 5, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's saying to be careful what you set your mind to, what you continue to think on or dwell on. And, you know, if we fill ourselves with diners, drive-ins, and dives, or, you know, this is us, or all the things that we can choose from this world, we become worldly. Paul writes, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or moral excellence, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Set your mind, Paul would say in Colossians, on things that are above not the things on this earth. And that's what Peter's saying as he begins to lay out how we should live. Gird up the loins of your mind. And he says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. And we know that we're saved by grace, right? Paul writes about that in Ephesians. He says you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself, but it's a gift from God. And so grace is God's unmerited favor, and we're saved by that. And it's grace that we stand by. Uh, He would write in Romans chapter 5, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is grace that will be brought to us when Jesus returns, and that's what Peter's writing about now. And Paul writes about that in Ephesians as well, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God will continue to show us that through eternity. And one of the things that we'll experience with him is his unmerited favor all through eternity. Forever and ever, Christ will show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. So God equals love to obedience. And that word is a Greek word, hupakoa, means submission or yielded to God. Paul would write in uh, Romans that we shouldn't be conformed to this world, right? But we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so he's giving an encouragement to be sober and to be watchful, to gird up the loins of your mind, but also to be obedient to God. And I don't know of very many people that like that word, obedience. (laughs) And as a father of four, as you're raising children, you know, sometimes they don't like to be obedient. But as a father trying to protect them, you want to guard them from 
things that may happen to them that will hurt them, right? Well, God is an awesome Father. And the things that He keeps us from, the things that He tells us, He means. But He's doing it to protect us and because He loves us. So love and obedience. And Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What a great promise from God. That if we are willing to submit our will to his, that he's willing to make his home with us. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And so obedience equals love. We can't say that we love Jesus and walk in direct rebellion to what he teaches. And so how can we live in obedience to Christ as obedient children? How are we able to do that? Because sometimes we hear these things through the Word of God and we think they're for someone else. You know, someone that's much more holy. Maybe they're much more religious. It must be for them because I can't seem to do it. But God is calling us in the Scriptures here to be holy, to be set apart. And so is God commanding something that we are unable to keep? As a good portion of of Christ's church lives in compromise today, how can we live in obedience? How can we live set apart unto God? God doesn't command us to do things that we're unable to do. How can we live holy? How can we live set apart to God? Well, the answer is by the Holy Spirit that he's given to all of us who are saved. Not only did Christ save us, but he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he says, to dwell within each one of us. The Spirit of God that leads us to a deeper knowledge of the gospel of truth. It gives us divine strength needed to enable us to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. Jesus would call him the helper, or the succor, or the aider, the assistant, the comforter, the overcomer. Jesus said, I wouldn't leave you as orphans. I will give you another, one that is like unto me, a helper. The same spirit, Paul writes in Romans, that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is now within each one of us. And Christ has given us power to overcome. And yet many are still walking in compromise, not understanding what we've been given. Paul writes, we are dead to sin now and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. But it's not going to be by our might or our power that we're going to overcome. Because the word of God says, not by your might or power, but by my spirit. And so Jesus didn't leave us as orphans. He gave us the same power that rose him from the grave. And now we're able to stand there for, like Paul uh, writes in Ephesians, in the full armor of God, 
The Bible says we can do all things, right, through Christ who strengthens us. We can be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. By faith that we would believe that we receive that Spirit of God, just as we believe by faith that we receive salvation, by faith we believe that we receive the Spirit of God that Jesus said that we would. And in that Spirit comes power, power to overcome. John would write, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And so obedience to Jesus. Why? Because he's worthy. Don't be ensnared with your former lusts, he writes. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And so Jesus, in obedience to the Father, John writes and quotes in these words, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. The scripture says that Jesus was obedient even to death, the death of the cross. And the Father desires, in Romans 8, to conform each one of us into the image of his Son. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So set apart holiness, be sanctified and set apart. And a sanctification process for each one of us that are walking with Christ. And holiness is not so much something that we possess as it is something that possesses us. How shall we live in light of this great salvation that Christ has given us? We're not called to be greater than the Master, Jesus would say. It's enough that you be like him. And so we ought to walk like him. That's what John writes. If we say that we know him, then we ought to walk like him. And he walked in holiness and righteousness. He was set apart to the Father. He would say, I do nothing of myself, but only as I hear from the Father, so I do. But yet we become a bride that has come to a place of compromise. How then shall we walk? The Bible says he's the Holy One of Israel. The psalmist writes, For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. God is holy, and he calls us to be set apart. In the book of Exodus, as God is describing to Moses the different pieces of the priest's apparel in Exodus uh, 39, he says, They made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 30 in Exodus 39, Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. And this was the priest's outfit, the priest's uniform that he was to wear when he came to stand before God. So does God believe that holiness is important? Is God asking us to walk set apart from this world? 
Well, on the engraving on the hat that the priest wore, it said, Holiness to the Lord. And Peter writes now in 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen generation, right? You're a royal priesthood. We are the men and women of God and his ambassadors, and we're now the very priest, uh, Peter is saying. David writes, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. Can we live holy, set apart to God, sanctified? Paul would write about this in Romans chapter 6, and I'll go through a few verses. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. In Romans 6.19, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, he said. Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so God says that we can live a life that's set apart. In fact, he gives us many commands through the scriptures saying for us to do these things. He says, be steadfast, right? And immovable. He said, submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil. He said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. He says, deny yourself. Put off the old man. Flee sexual immorality. Flee idolatry. Depart from iniquity, 2 Timothy. Flee these things, 1 Timothy, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, like Peter says, watchfully, righteously, and godly in this present world. If we were unable to stand, why would God say this? In Ephesians, Paul writes, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In Colossians, he writes, Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. In Thessalonians, he writes, That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And so walk worthy. Is God calling us to be holy and set apart? Yes, he is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And so sin now for us who are believers who have the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a choice. And Paul writes in Ephesians again that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And those that are Christ in Galatians, Paul says, have crucified the flesh the flesh with its passions and desires, crucified the flesh. And I say to myself, is that us? Is that what we have done? 
would God call us to do something that we were unable to do? And a good amount of the church, again, is living in compromise. And the Wesley brothers used to ride from town to town on horseback delivering the message of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley Redfield, they used to preach the holiness and righteousness of God. Charles Finney and John Fletcher. George Whitfield used to stand in the commons of Philadelphia without a microphone and speak to 10,000 people. And there were great awakenings on this earth in the times that these men spoke the holiness and righteousness of God. And George Whitfield would say, if you will not weep for your sins, George Whitfield will weep. And he would rear his head back and begin to weep for the sins that were created against a holy and a righteous God. But we believe that we're unable. And we believe we have no power. And so we continue in our sin. You know, I'll never overcome this weakness for pornography. You know, God understands or God knows I can't resist sleeping with my boyfriend. You know, the Lord knows when I go out with my friends that I have to get drunk or high. He understands my lying, my fornication, my stealing. No, he gave his son to set us free from all those things. The Bible says whom the son sets free is free indeed. He gave his son to set us free from sin. I used to do a lot of outreach work in Atlantic City, and I worked with a lot of different uh, youth in the city. And it was a privilege to be able to do that. It was a police athletic league and uh, the Boys and Girls Club and in the Covenant House and be able to speak to uh, some of the children there that maybe have one parent. Some of them have no parents. And because of that, they some of them have been abused and They've been told things to them that they would never amount to anything. That they would never be any good at anything. And they were told these things over and over. And uh, as you hear things over and over, you may start to believe these things. And I can remember one night, there, we were, I was in the Boys and Girls Club, and we were speaking about having a plan. You know, that it's good to have a plan of what you'd like to do when you get older. And uh, I could remember that the one girl said that she wanted to be a lawyer. And as soon as the words came out of her mouth, the rest of the people that were in that room, the kids that were her friends, maybe not so friendly, but they said they started laughing at her. And I stopped them and I said, you know, if she wants to be a lawyer, she can do that. She may have to study. She may have to give up some things, but she can be that. And that's not good parenting when someone tells their children that. And it's not godly and it's not of Jesus to say that to someone because they start to believe those things and they have a very hard time overcoming in this world after that. Well, in the same way, we have an enemy that speaks the same discouragement into one of, each and every one of us. You'll never overcome this addiction, this fornication, You'll never overcome the anger or the bitterness. The lust, you'll never be free. The enemy speaks these things into us that we have no power to overcome. How could God ever use you? Look what you have done. And one of the names of the devil himself is the accuser, right? In Revelation 12 it says, 
But God says that you can do all things through Him. He says that He's given us another, just like Him, Jesus said. I'll give you a comforter, a helper, one that will strengthen you, the Holy Spirit to overcome. You know, we may be facing struggles and and but knowing now that we have the ability to overcome through the Spirit of God. And one person thinks in their heart that they can never overcome, and so because of that they live in their sin, and the other one knows that they've been given the power of God within them, and so that they're able to overcome, and so they live a life that brings more glory to God. And so if we get anything tonight, we should understand that God didn't leave you as an orphan, that He's a good Father, and that He gave you the Spirit of God so that you could overcome. Do you see the difference? One believes they can overcome, and the other one knows that he's been given the power of God in order to overcome. The other believes they're a new creation, a new creature in Christ, endued with the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And that's such a great difference. Like the child, it thought they couldn't be anything. Well, the knowledge now that they could be that. They could overcome. And God hasn't left you alone. Christ did what the law could not have done through the weakness of our flesh. He fulfilled the law. He took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. And he gave us his righteousness. And how shall we live in light of these things? But he also gave us of his spirit. He gave us power to overcome. And this is where I believe we lack understanding. You know, we may be a broken vessel or a broken clay pot, but within that pot is the Spirit of God. That same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is within us, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. And God didn't leave you alone. John 14, Jesus says, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Another one like me, Jesus is saying, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And the promise of God is that he won't leave us without any help. I'll come to you, Jesus said. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit again that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. That same power is now within each one of us. And I'll quote the scripture, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That power that rose Christ from death is now in each one of us. Jesus didn't leave you as an orphan like one without a father. Um, I've seen many children in that city that don't have fathers or maybe don't even have a mother. But he's given us power from on high to overcome. Otherwise the scriptures would make no sense. Because he says that we can be more than conquerors, right? Through him who loved us. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
that we can stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, that we are now able to stand in the full armor of God, that we can be steadfast, immovable, that we are able to stand there for. And Paul writes in Philippians, My beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Beloved, stand fast. If we were unable, why would God call us to do that? The weapons of our warfare, right? They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. The enemy wants you to believe you cannot overcome. You will never be free from this addiction. You have no power. But he is a liar. And he's the father of all lies. God says you have the same spirit that rose his son from the grave. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead again will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Life now is within you. Now we are able to stand. And even though I'm still in this body, this clay pot, this broken vessel, I can experience victory. We used to sing this song at the mission all the time. There is victory in Jesus, right? There is victory in Jesus. But there is victory in Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And there is power in the Spirit of God that He's put in each one of us. We don't have to live subjected to the flesh any longer. I begin to live in victory over the flesh. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, His Spirit makes you alive. Paul would write in Galatians, walk in the spirits so that you don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. We can overcome, the Bible said, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, Revelation 12, by the spirit of God that he's given to each one of us who are saved. Why should we be holy? Because we're not our own any longer, the scripture says. We're bought with a price, a very heavy price, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, because of that, he says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We've been bought with the very precious blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, glorify God in your body, in your spirit. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And if you call on the Father, if we as Christians call on a holy God for help, we must understand that we call on a God who shows no partiality, right? He's not a respecter of persons. And will so judge our conduct. And so this makes a working, sober, holy walk all the more important. Of course God still corrects. He still judges. What is uh, of him and what's not of him. The whole uh, chapter of Hebrews 12 is about that, right? About how he chastens he, those he loves, right? 
If you endure chastening, he says, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? God protects. God our Father loves us. You know, I have three sons, and I want to protect them. And I would cry out to God before they left the home that I'm no longer going to be with them, Lord. You know, you set me to watch over them, to be a steward over them, but ultimately they belong to you, Lord. I want to protect them. I have a daughter. I definitely want to protect her. And so you speak things into their lives that will keep them from things that will harm them, right? You know, the law in it, if people stopped lying, that would be a good thing. If they stopped stealing, that would be a good thing. If they didn't murder people, that would be a good thing. Those are things of the law, but Christ fulfilled the law. We don't live holy lives or set apart lives for Christ because of the law. That God is protecting us. Sin wreaks havoc in our lives. I can tell you in my own life of the things that when I went through going through the 80s, and some days I probably don't even remember, but uh, God saved me out of all that and delivered me out of that. I was a drunken fool and a drug addict, but God delivered me out of it. And God has power to do it. Sin wreaks havoc, it robs, it kills and destroys, and so he's asking us to stay away from it. Is that a good father? Yeah. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Reverence, right? For God. Where is the fear of the Lord? Where is the reverence for God? David wrote, let all the earth fear the Lord. The Bible says he's the Holy One of Israel. That all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. The psalmist writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Love for God always leads to obedience to him. Remember the words of Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. The law could never bring us to obedience. It's his love that does that. It's the love of Jesus that now compels us, like Paul would write. It's the very thing that presses me on to want to live a life that brings glory to him. We can't live in habitual sin and bring glory to God. It just won't happen. How can God use us to represent him if we're living in known sin? What kind of representative will we be? How will he do through that? How will his name be honored and glorified? Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so Peter brings to light the cost of our redemption. And he says, you weren't bought with things that are 
corruptible things that will fall apart, like silver or gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish, like John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We weren't bought back or purchased with money or gold, or, but something more, far more precious was given, the blood of Jesus Christ. The high call for godly living makes sense in light of the price that was paid for our redemption. The precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed for each one of us. That we would go on living as lost people? That we would become carnal Christians? No. The Father's heart in Romans 8 says that we would be like Jesus, conform to the image of his Son, Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed or molded to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Brothers, right? I have five brothers. <laughs> um, hard to believe there's more of me, right? <laughs> but I have five brothers, and uh, once in a while we get together. It's uh, pretty funny. My wife really enjoys all of that while we get together this family um, but a lot of us, we we do the we have the same type of mannerisms, right? We we uh, <laughs> we laugh the same way. We we do a lot of things the same, the same mannerisms. We even tell some of the same stupid jokes, right? My wife has heard some of the same stupid jokes from me for the last twenty five years. <laughs> but in the midst of that fellowship with these brothers together you can tell that we came from the same parents, right? That we have the image of our earthly mom and dad. And Christ died and rose from the grave that we would be like him, conformed to his image. And it's not a message of condemnation, but an exhortation to walk in the Spirit of God. That power you've been given to overcome, that you would understand that that's what God has given you. He didn't leave you as an orphan. He gave you the Holy Spirit. Another unlike another one like him. And how we believe that is we believe it by faith, just like we believed in our salvation, that we received salvation by faith. We also understand that as Jesus said, we've been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, at the beginning of John 13, he makes a remarkable statement as we are getting ready to close tonight. Jesus makes a remarkable statement and something that's always stuck in my heart. He says this, Now before the feast, John 13, uh, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, he extended his love to the very end. Even when they came to get him in the midst of the garden, he stood out front of them. If it's me you seek, then let them go. Because he loved them, he stood out front. And he loved them to the end. And that's what he promises for each one of us. That your Father in heaven, heaven loves you. He sent his own Son to die for your sins. He gave all that he loved in Jesus. And the Lord Jesus loves you and he'll continue to do that to the end. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It is the love of Christ that will compel us to want to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. Be more than a conqueror for Jesus. Through his spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from death, the same spirit that dwells mightily in you now, be more than a conqueror for him.